Chapter thirty five of Uncle Silas by Joseph Sheridan Le Fanu. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter thirty five. We visit a room in the second story. Mr. Carrisbroke amused my fancy sufficiently to prevent my observing Milly's silence till we had begun our return homeward. The Grange must be a pretty house if that little sketch be true. Is it far from this? Twill be two mile. "'Are you vexed, Milly?' I asked, for both her tone and looks were angry. "'Yes, I am vexed, and why not, lass?' "'What has happened?' "'Well, now, that is rich. Why, look at that fellow, Carries broke. He took no more notice of me than a dog, and kept talking to you all the time of his pictures, and his walks, and his people. Why, a pig's better manners than that.' "'But, Milly, dear, you forget. He tried to talk to you, and you would not answer him.' I expostulated. And is not that just what I say? I can't talk like other folks. Ladies, I mean. Every one laughs at me, and I'm dressed like a show, I am. It's a shame. I saw Polly Shives, what a lady she is, my eyes, laughing at me in church last Sunday. I was minded to give her a bit of my mind, and I know I'm queer. It's a shame, it is. Why should I be so rum? It is a shame. I don't want to be so, nor it isn't my fault. And poor Milly broke into a flood of tears, and stamped on the ground, and buried her face in her short frock, which she whisked up to her eyes, and an odder figure of grief I never beheld. And I could not make head or tail of what he was saying, cried poor Milly, through her buff cotton, with a stamp, and you twigged every word of it. "'And why am I so? It's a shame, a shame! Oh, 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 it's a shame!' "'But, my dear Milly, we were talking of drawing, and you have not learned yet, but you shall. I'll teach you, and then you'll understand all about it.' "'And everyone laughs at me, even you. Though you try, Maud, you can scarce keep from laughing sometimes. I don't blame you, for I know I'm queer, but I can't help it, and it's a shame!' "'Well, my dear Milly, listen to me. "'If you allow me, I assure you, "'I'll teach you all the music and drawing I know. "'You have lived very much alone, and, as you say, "'ladies have a way of speaking of their own "'that is different from the talk of other people. "'Yes, that they have, and gentlemen, too, "'like the governor, and that carries broke, "'and a precious lingo it is, dang it! "'Why, the devil himself could not understand it, "'and I'm like a fool among you. I could most drown myself. It's a shame. It is, you know it is. It's a shame. But I'll teach you that lingo too, if you wish it, Milly, and you shall know everything that I know, and I'll manage to have your dresses better made. By this time she was looking very ruefully, but attentively, in my face, her round eyes and nose swelled and her cheeks all wet. I think if they were a little longer, yours is longer, you know and the sentence was interrupted by a sob. "'Now, Milly, you must not be crying. If you choose, you may be just as the same as any other lady, and you shall, and you will be very much admired, I can tell you. If only you will take the trouble to quite unlearn all your odd words and ways, and dress yourself like other people, and I will take care of that, if you let me. And I think you are very clever, Milly, and I know you are very pretty.' Poor Milly's blubbered face expanded into a smile in spite of herself, 
but she shook her head looking down no no maud i fear twon't be and indeed it seemed i had proposed to myself a labour of hercules but milly was really a clever creature could see quickly and when her ungainly dialect was mastered described very pleasantly and if only she would endure the restraint and possess the industry requisite i did not despair and was resolved at least to do my part poor milly she was really very grateful and entered into the project of her education with great zeal and with a strange mixture of humility and insubordination milly was in favour of again attacking beauty's position on her return and forcing a passage from this side but i insisted on following the route by which we had arrived and so we got round the paling by the river and were treated to a provoking grin of defiance by beauty who was talking across the gate to a slim young man arrayed in a fustian and with an odd-looking cap of rabbit-skin on his head which on seeing us he pulled sheepishly to the side of his face next to us as he lounged with his arm under his chin on the top bar of the gate after our encounter of to-day indeed it was miss beauty's wont to exhibit a kind of jeering disdain in her countenance whenever we passed i think milly would have engaged her again had i not reminded her of her undertaking and exerted my new authority look at that sneak pegtop there going up the path to the mill he makes belief now he does not see us but he does though only he's afraid we'll tell the governor and he thinks governor won't give him his way with you i hate that pegtop he stopped me a riding the cows a year ago he did i thought pegtop might have done worse indeed it was plain that a total reformation was needed here and i was glad to find that poor milly seemed herself conscious of it and that her resolution to become more like other people of her station was not a mere spasm of mortification and jealousy but a genuine and very zealous resolve i had not half seen this old house of bertram howe yet at first indeed i had but an imperfect idea of its extent there was a range of rooms along one side of the great gallery with closed window shutters and the doors generally locked old lamour grew cross when we went into them although we could see nothing and milly was afraid to open the windows not that any bluebeard revelations were apprehended but simply because she knew that uncle silas's order was that things should be left undisturbed and this boisterous spirit stood in awe of him to a degree which his gentle manners and apparent quietude rendered quite surprising there were in this house what certainly did not exist at knoll and what i have never observed though they may possibly be found in other old houses i mean here and there very high hatches which we could only peep over by jumping in the air they crossed the long corridors and great galleries and several of them were turned across and locked so as to intercept the passage and interrupt our explorations milly however knew a queer little very steep and dark back stair which reached the upper floor so she and i mounted and made a long ramble through rooms much lower and ruder in finish than the lordly chambers we had left below these commanded various views of the beautiful though neglected grounds but on crossing a gallery we entered suddenly a chamber which looked into a small and dismal quadrangle formed by the inner walls of this great house and of course designed only by the architect to afford the needful light and air to portions of the structure 
I rubbed the window pane with my handkerchief and looked out. The surrounding roof was steep and high. The walls looked soiled and dark. The windows lined with dust and dirt, and the window stones were in places tufted with moss and grass and ground cell. An arched window had opened from the house into this darkened square, but it was soiled and dusty, and the damp weeds that overgrew the quadrangle drooped undisturbed against it. It was plain that human footsteps tracked it little, and I gazed into that blind and sinister area with a strange thrill and sinking. This is the second floor. There is the enclosed courtyard. I, as it were, soliloquized. "'What are you afraid of, Maud? You look as you'd seen a ghost!' exclaimed Milly, who came to the window and peeped over my shoulder. "'It reminded me suddenly, Milly, of that frightful business.' "'What business, Maud? What a plague are you thinking on?' demanded Milly, rather amused. "'It was in one of these rooms. Maybe this. Yes, it certainly was this. For see, the panelling has been pulled off the wall. That Mr. Chark killed himself.' I was staring ruefully around the dim chamber, in whose corners the shadows of night were already gathering. "'Chark? What about him? Who's Chark?' asked Milly. "'Why, you must have heard of him,' said I. "'Not as I'm aware on,' answered she. "'And he killed himself, did he? Hanged himself, eh, or blowed his brains out?' "'He cut his throat in one of these rooms. This one, I'm sure.' for your papa had the wainscoting stripped from the wall to ascertain whether there was any second door through which a murderer could have come and you see these walls are stripped and bear the mark of the woodwork that has been removed i answered well that was awful i don't know how they have the pluck to cut their throats if i was doing it i'd like best to put a pistol to my head and fire like the young gentleman did they say in dead man's hollow but the fellows that cut their throats they must be awful game lads i'm thinking for it's a long slice you know don't don't milly dear suppose we come away i said for the evening was deepening rapidly into night hey and bury me wick but here's the blood don't you see a big black cloud all spread over the floor hereabout don't you see milly was stooping over the spot and tracing the outline of this perhaps imaginary mapping in the air with her finger no milly you could not see it the floor is too dark and it's all in shadow it must be fancy and perhaps after all this is not the room well i think i'm sure it is stand just look we'll come in the morning and if you are right we can see it better then come away i said growing frightened and just as we stood up to depart the white high cauled cap and large sallow features of old lamour peeped in at the door "'Look what brings you here!' cried Milly, nearly as much startled as I at the intrusion. "'What brings you here, miss?' whistled Lanmore through her gums. "'We're looking where Chark cut his throat,' replied Milly. "'Chark the devil!' said the old woman, with an odd mixture of scorn and fury. "'Tisn't this room, and come ye out of it, please. Master won't like when he hears how you keep pulling Miss Maud from one room to another, all through the house, up and down.' She was grabbing sternly enough but dropped a low curtsy as i passed her and with a peaked and nodding stare round the room the old woman clapped the door sharply and locked it and who has been talking about chark a pack of lies i warrant i suppose you want to frighten miss maud here another crippled curtsy with ghosts and like nonsense you're out there twas she told me 
and much about it ghosts indeeds i don't valley them not i if i did i know who'd frighten me and milly laughed the old woman stuffed the key in her pocket and her wrinkled mouth pouted and receded with a grim uneasiness a harmless brat and kind she is but wild wild she will be wild so whispered l'amour in my ear during the silence that followed nodding shakily toward milly over the banister and she curtsied again as we departed and shuffled off toward uncle silas's room the governor is queerish this evening said milly when we were seated at our tea you never saw him queerish did you you must say what you mean more plainly milly you don't mean ill i hope well i don't know what it is but he does grow very queer sometimes you'd think he was dead almost maybe two or three days and nights together he sits all the time like an old woman in a swound well well it is awful is he insensible when in that state i asked a good deal alarmed i don't know but it never signifies anything it won't kill him i do believe but old l'amour knows all about it i hardly ever go into the room when he's so only when i'm sent for and he sometimes wakes up and takes a fancy to call for this one or that one day he sent for pegtop all the way to the mill and when he came he only stared at him for a minute or two and ordered him out of the room he's like a child almost when he's in one of them daisies i always knew when uncle silas was queerish by the injunctions of old l'amour whistled and spluttered over the banister as we came upstairs to mind how we made a noise passing master's door and by the sound of mysterious toings and froings about his room i saw very little of him he sometimes took a whim to have us breakfast with him which lasted perhaps for a week and then the order for our living would relapse into its old routine i must not forget two kind letters from lady knollys who was detained away and delighted to hear that i enjoyed my quiet life and promised to apply in person to uncle silas for permission to visit me she was to be for the christmas at elverston and that was only six miles away from bartram howe so i had the excitement of a pleasant look forward she also said that she would include poor milly in her invitation and a vision of captain oakley rose before me with his handsome gaze turned in wonder on poor milly for whom i had begun to feel myself responsible End of chapter 35